We're going to go back to Genesis again this morning. I like that. We're back to Genesis, chapter 28. Uh, I titled my message this morning, Jacob's Ladder. And I did get an early start on this message this week. And uh, so the Lord was speaking some things to me. And I just was really getting excited about the, the word that the Lord was speaking and the things he was showing me. And so I go to breakfast Wednesday morning and Brian wasn't able to go, of course, quarantine. And so it was just Scott and I. So our discussion was really good. And, and I was really preaching stuff to him. I was like, this is more probably you bargained for. But, you know, we just had a great discussion and talking about some of the things that I'm going to be talking about this morning also. Uh, so why don't we go ahead before I get into the word, go ahead and pray. So if you would, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we do praise you and magnify you, and you are worthy. You are worthy of all praise and adoration. Father, we thank you that you have provided this place that we can come and worship. We thank you that you've provided your word that we can study every day, Father. We can learn something new every day. We thank you for that. And Father God, may your spirit be in this place. May your spirit guide and direct every word that is spoken. And Father, may your name be lifted high. May you be glorified. Father, may the hearts of those hearing this message today be soft and receive the word that you have for them. Father, there may be some that do not know you. Father, may this word penetrate into their hearts and may they open their hearts up to receive what you have for them, Father. May they come to you. May they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, your Son. Father, may you be glorified through everything that is done here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 28, verses 1 through 5, and then verses 10 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him, and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you, and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham. So he's blessing and passing on that blessing that God promised to Abraham. To you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. I want to pause for a moment and say, now Esau did not do likewise. He did not go to his father's land and, or his mother's home and take uh, a relative as a wife. He took a wife from the descendants of Ishmael, Isaac's half-brother Ishmael. So he took a wife from among them. And that was kind of a thorn in the side of Isaac and Rebekah for many years. Now jumping to verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. I would prefer a pillow. I don't know about you. But he took a stone and put it at his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord your God of Abraham, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Hallelujah. What a promise. 
Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. There's a song that we sing. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. He knew that the presence of the Lord was in that place. Verse 17, And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning. He took the stone that he had put at his head, he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. <clears throat> Last Sabbath, we were also speaking of Jacob and Esau, his brother Esau. And we spoke and taught, we learned of how Esau was a hunter. He was a very skillful hunter. He would go out into the field and hunt. And this one particular day, he was not successful. When he comes back and... Of course, you know, he, he exaggerated. He thought he was going to die. So he made a hasty decision and traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. For a bowl of lentils, he gave up his birthright. We learned that last week. So some years had transpired between the trading of his birthright. I'm not going to say selling because he traded it. Trading his birthright. Some years have gone by. Their father Isaac has grown old. He has lost his eyesight. And I'm kind of wondering when you read the passage if his hearing may not have been quite as good as it used to be either. But his father Isaac meets with his son Esau and he tells him, I want you to go out and I want you to hunt some game. I want you to come back and I want you to prepare this savory stew and then I'm going to give you my blessing." So you see, friends, there's two things that the eldest son was supposed to have. The birthright, which he traded away, and then the blessing from the father. The blessing. So Isaac's going to give his son Esau the blessing. He thinks he's going to give him the blessing. Jacob's mother, Rebekah, overhears this conversation between Isaac and Esau. And she decides to take matters into her own hands. So I'm going to just give you my paraphrased version instead of reading the whole scripture to you. She says to her son Jacob, I overheard your father saying he's going to give him the blessing. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and get two kid goats from among the flocks, two good ones. I want you to bring them to me. We're going to prepare them. You are going to take them to your father. And you are going to receive the blessing. Jacob's like... Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, Mom. Hold up, Mom. Put the brakes on. This is never going to work. This is not going to work. 
Think about this for a moment. My brother is a hairy dude. Does anybody here remember what Esau means? Hairy, right. I just told you the answer, didn't I? I was supposed to ask you that first. Esau means hairy. He was hairy all over. If he took his clothes off, he probably looked like a bear. He was a hairy fellow. He says, look at me. I'm fair-skinned. I don't have hair all over me. What if, Dad, what's, what if Pop wants to touch me? And wait a minute. He smells. He smells like the field. He's always outdoors or hunting and all this. He, I don't even smell like him. Mom, this is never going to work. Son, just listen to me. Do what I tell you. Go get the goats. Bring them in here. She had a plan. She took some of the goat skin. You've read the story. And placed them on his arm, his forearms, and his hands. And he was so hairy, she even had to put some on his neck in case his father touched his neck. And then she took some of Esau's clothes, clothes that she apparently hadn't washed yet, and put them on her son Jacob and sent him into his father. There was a whole lot of deception going on, wasn't there, in Isaac's household. So they prepare the stew and get him all dressed up. He goes into his father and he says, I've brought you stew so that I might receive the blessing. Well, son, how is it you've come back so quickly? Isaac asked. He says, the Lord blessed me today. So he wasn't above lying. The Lord blessed me today. But Isaac's hearing was good enough that he thought, well, this really doesn't sound like my son Esau. Sounds like Jacob. No, father, it is I. It is Esau, your eldest. He tells his father. So we're going to pick up where he... In chapter 27, verses 27 and 29. And he came near and kissed him. He went near and kissed his father. And he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Amen. He received the blessing. He traded to get the birthright and now he deceived and stole the blessing. The blessing that Esau rightly Deserved because he was the eldest son. The blessing was called primogeniture. Is the name of the blessing. It simply means firstborn. My friends, God instituted this. He incorporated this into the law of Moses. It was to help promote order. It was to provide, provide for those in need. The book of Deuteronomy commands that when a father dies as we already spoke of last week, that when his inheritance is divided, that the eldest son was supposed to get twice as much. He was going to get double portion of the father's inheritance. But my friends, think about this. In that day, it was a whole lot different for women, wasn't it? A whole lot different. Today, women will get jobs. They'll buy property. They'll own homes. They'll own things. A lot of women today will take care of themselves with no problem. Not so in that day. 
Women did not own property. If something happened to their husband and they were old and did not remarry, they had to depend on relatives to take care of them. And if a sister or a female had a husband die and there was no one to take care of them, who did it fall to? That eldest son that received the double portion. That was his duty to take care of the family. He wasn't given this double portion that he could go out there and spend it on his pleasure and live it up and have a good time. But it was to take the responsibility of the family. And God knew that Jacob was the one that would be doing this, that should be doing this. In the Old Testament, you'll find many examples of God choosing the younger brother over the older brother. Isaac himself was chosen over Ishmael, his older brother. Of course, Jacob and Esau, as we're just we're talking about today. Judah was chosen over his three older brothers to be the ancestor of the royal line through whom the Christ would come. David, the youngest, was chosen over his seven older brothers to be king. And on and on. God doesn't simply look to who's the oldest. He looks to the person that can fulfill the purposes regardless of their birth standing. Last week's scripture gave us an idea as to why God intended for Joseph to be the leader. It said at the end of our scripture last week that Esau despised his birthright. He despised it, meaning he despised the responsibility that went along with the firstborn son. They were not important to him. He was more concerned about other things. He had hunting to do. Not that hunting's all bad. But he would have neglected those responsibilities. He wouldn't have taken care of the family like he should have. And God knew that Jacob was the man for this job. But my friends, how did he get it? He stole it. If someone steals something from you, you're going to have a couple reactions and what are they going to be? One of them is going to be, now be honest with me, I can hear you through that mask. What's one reaction going to be if someone steals something from you? Get even. Anger. That's one I'm looking for. Anger. And possibly even revenge. I've had a few things stolen from me over the years and I was, I was angry for a little while, but I got over it, right? I was angry. Well, that's exactly what Esau experienced. Genesis 27, 41 through 44. So Esau hated, he hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Revenge. I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau... Her older son were told to Rebekah. So he didn't just think it. He thought it out loud, apparently. Were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran. And stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away. Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but those few days turned into 21 years. But this great threat to his life, 
This great threat. I mean, he was, Esau would have killed him. This great threat is why he was fleeing his father's home. This is why he was going to the land of Haran. But I believe there was other things that God had in mind. I believe there's some important, some important lessons coming Jacob's way. There's some shaping of his faith. As we spoke of how God shaped Abraham's faith, there's some shaking of, shaping of Jacob's faith coming his way. The deceiver would be deceived by his coming father-in-law. I don't want to get ahead of myself because I might use that here in a couple weeks, right? So let's go ahead and move on to Jacob's vision of the ladder. His vision of a ladder to heaven. This passage has puzzled many Bible scholars throughout the ages. Well-known Christian commentators such as Matthew Henry, Adam Clark, they have stabbed at its meaning, believing that it has to do something with the person of Jesus Christ. And I'll agree with them, and you'll see when I get to the end. Others, such as Keel, and Delchitz, probably didn't pronounce that second name correctly, but Dell, Keel and Dell. They do not connect the person of Jesus Christ with this dream, the dream of the latter. And while we as Christians should seek out biblical scholars and try to get an understanding of this, I believe it's important that we also, since this was Hebrew, look at the rabbinic Judaism, see what they offer as an explanation for Jacob's dream. And a key is found in verse 11. Most Bible versions read that he lighted upon a certain place. The New King James Version said, and he came to a certain place. My friends, but the Hebrew Torah reads another particular way. It says that he lighted upon the place. I've never seen the be so important as this here. In the art scroll... Barish is quoting Rashi. It reads, The Torah does not tell us which place. Instead, it uses the definite article in the place, implying that the identity of the place was so well known that it did not need to be specified. The place that he came to was so well known that it didn't need to be specified. It indicates that it refers to the site referred to elsewhere in the Bible as the place. And my friends, it is none other than, I spoke of a couple weeks ago, Mount Moriah. None other than Mount Moriah. He saw the place from afar. We read in Genesis 22. The Torah itself refers to the holy site as Mechum Aquim. It is the place. Mount Moriah has great significance. Remember, we talked about Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him. We believe it is taught, as we won't find in the Scripture, that Isaac and Rebekah went to there, the place, Mount Moriah, to pray for a son. It is the place, the elevated place, that Solomon built the temple. It is where God appeared to David. It is a very important place. It is considered the place where God dwells. Jacob called the name of the place where he saw the ladder, Bethel. What does Bethel mean? House of God. 
the place where the temple would eventually be built, where the Israelites would come to meet God. They would come to the place, the same place where Jacob met God is where the Israelites would come to meet God, the place where he would dwell. But have I answered the question, did this dream, did the latter, does it have anything to do with Christ? So remember what we've already learned. This is the place where we would, they would meet God. It is the place where God's angels would ascend and descend on that ladder. Verse 11 continued and said, He took the stone, took one of the stones of the place, and He put it under His head, and He lay down in that place to sleep. The Hebrew word for stone as it's used in this passage is eben. The meaning means to build. Makes sense, doesn't it? Use a stone to build. But there's other usages of the word eben found in the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments are written upon the stone, eben, same word. And stone as referring to Messiah is found in many places. In Psalms 118.22, it says the stone, and it's eben here, which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Isaiah 8, verse 14. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense to both the house of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And again, it's the same word, Eben. Isaiah 28, 16. <clears throat> Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. And then back to Genesis 49:24. But his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hand of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. The word even, stone, is always related to God the Father or to, to the Messiah, which we know to be Jesus Christ. I want to tie these two together, the ladder and the stone. Tie them together here at the end of this. Well, I'm not at the end yet. Don't get excited. <laughs> there, don't get excited. I know, it's hours late. There are so many different interpretations as to the meaning of the latter that it can become a little confusing. Jewish commentaries offer several different interpretations. One claims that the latter signifies the exiles, the exiles of the Jewish people that would suffer before the coming of the Messiah. There is one teaching out there that claims whenever Jacob would go to leave that promised land, the holy land, that certain angels would have to leave him and go back up to heaven, and then other angels come down and be with him as he goes into these other lands. And then when he come back, there would be a change in the angels again. That's really kind of confusing, isn't it? I'm not saying I agree with that. The Christian view of the ladder, the Christian view of Jacob's ladder, is this, that the ladder is planted in the ground on one end, and where's the other end? It reaches to heaven, Right? So the Christian point of view is there's that connection between earth and heaven, right? One truth is for certain. 
concerning the latter. That there is a connection. There is a connection between man and God. His holy angels are descending and ascending, ascending and descending. And God is there to talk. God is there. He is there. It says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your, fa your father and the God of Isaac. My friends, God is closer than many people think. He is closer. And He desires to be involved in our lives. He wants to communicate. He wants to be connected with man. When Jacob rose in that early morning, he was amazed having that dream. But I believe that Jacob did something that was very prophetic. He rose in that morning, he took that stone, that Eben stone that represents the Messiah, that he had at his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of the stone. Jacob anointed that stone with oil. Let's fast forward into the New Testament, John 12, verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil, a spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and she wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrant oil fragrance of the oil. Mary anointed the stone that the builder rejected. She anointed that stone that the builders rejected. Why would Jacob anoint the stone? Why did he set it up as a pillar? A pillar is a monument. It's a monument of an event. The pouring on of oil is a consecration to God. So Jacob consecrated that. He set it up as a monument and he consecrated it to God. Number 7, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass, when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, that he anointed it and consecrated it, and all its furnishings, and the altar, and all its utensils. So he anointed them and consecrated them. We know that the place was going to be the place where they would come to meet God. It's called God's house. He anointed that stone. What does Jacob's ladder mean to you? You that are hearing this word today, what does Jacob's ladder mean to you? John 1, verse 51 says, And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. There's the angels again, ascending and descending, not upon the ladder of His dream, but ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, upon Jesus Christ. My friends, there is a connection between heaven and earth. And it's Jesus. God wants a personal relationship with each and every one of you that are hearing this word today. Christ died for you. He is the ladder that connects us with the Father. He is the ladder. He is the one that stands at the entryway to heaven. <clears throat> he is the one that can bring man back into right relationship with God. Why was there that gap? Because of sin. Because we have sin. Our sin separates us from God. 
But God wants us connected back with Him. Hebrews 9.15 says, And for this reason, He, speaking of Jesus Christ, He is the mediator of the new covenant, by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. The Greek meaning for mediator here means go-between, reconciler. Jesus Christ is our go-between. He is the reconciler. He is the one that can bring us back to God. Jacob was chosen. Chosen over Esau. He was chosen as the one whom the Messiah would come through. And that the message of Christ would be interwoven in our Old Testament teachings. Jacob came to the place where he would meet with God. The place. Jesus tells us in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jacob came to the place where he could meet God. My friends, if we want to come to the place where we can meet God, that we can be reconciled to God, where we can be forgiven of our sins, it is none other than Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 4, did you see me get my Bible out? You know it's going to be extra because I didn't even have it on here. In John chapter 4, verses 19 through 24, Jesus is speaking with a woman at the well. Then the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place. There we go again. The place. The Jews say you've got to go to the place. It's where you ought to worship. But Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither enter, will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. My friends, was speaking about the latter, but Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the latter. Jesus Christ is the stone. He is the anointed one. He is a stone that the builders rejected. But my cry to you today is do not reject Him. If you want to come to the Father, you must come through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other way but through Jesus Christ. Do you have a personal relationship with the Father? Are you connected in spirit with the Father, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, the One who gives life? Or have you rejected Him? Have you denied that He is? Well, you can deny Him all you want, but that's not going to change anything because He is God. He is the one true living God. And if you don't know Him, this message is for you today. 
Cry out to Him. Receive Him. Receive the gift. Receive the blessing that He has for you. And that blessing is forgiveness of your sins and eternal life from him, with Him when Jesus Christ returns. May God add His blessings to the hearing of His Word today. As we close today, I'm going to do something a little different that I don't always do, but you can go ahead and come to the piano. Whether you're here or whether you're listening online, I want you to close your eyes. So please, all who are listening, whether you're on the phone or on the internet or you're here today that I can see you, please close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you today, if you don't personally know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God wants you. He wants you. He wants your soul. He wants to save you. He wants you to cry out to Him. He wants you to ask for forgiveness of your sins and to receive the only one that can make you right. And that is His Son, Jesus Christ. With the blood that He shed upon that cross, that's the only way that we can be forgiven of our sins is to receive Jesus Christ. That our sins are washed away. So let's go ahead and let's go ahead and pray. And, and if you can play lightly, okay. But let's just pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank You for Your Word. And Father, I know that I am a sinner. Father, I realize that when I sin, that I am sinning against You. I'm sinning against You, Father. And Father, I know that it's not Your will that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, I know that it is Your will that we would all come to You, that we would all enjoy eternal life someday. So Father, I pray this prayer. Pray, Father, that You would forgive me of my sins, that You would wash away my sins. Father, we know that when we ask for forgiveness, that it's as if we've never sinned when we receive Jesus Christ. So Father, forgive me of my sins. And I freely open my heart up to allow Jesus Christ to come in, to, to take, take up dwelling in my heart. Lord, that's our prayer. Jesus, come into my heart today. Create a new heart in me. Cleanse me. Make me pure. May Your Spirit, O Lord, guide and direct me. Everything that I think, everything that I say, and everything that I do, Father, may Your Spirit be in control of. And Father God, may Your Spirit help me to live for You. Help me to be surrendered to You. And I thank You, Lord. Thank You for the redemption that You so freely give to all who come, to all who will ask. Amen. If you've asked Christ to forgive you of your sins, if you're hearing this maybe a month from now, send us a note. Let us know that you've received Jesus Christ and asked for forgiveness of your sins today. God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as I said in that prayer, it will be as if you've never sinned. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the kingdom of God. You are now a son of the living God, or a daughter of the living God. Amen?